Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 16. If you've got a pew Bible, it's on page 977, or you can read along conveniently. It's printed in your bulletin. Um, Today's sermon is titled, Saved for Community. See, when God saves you, he doesn't just um, save you into a vertical relationship with him. He also brings you into a horizontal relationship with his people. God in his grace draws people to Christ, and Christ makes them part of his body, the church, so that we may live and thrive together in community uh, with love. This is a truth that we all need to grow in, right? We are saved for community. I, therefore... A prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given this word to us. We are a hungry and needy people. We need to feed upon the truths that you have shown us here in this passage. We long for community, and yet community is so hard. We hurt others, and others hurt us. We need your help. Uh, By your spirit, help us to see and understand and to press into our lives that you have saved us for community, we pray. Amen. One of the most popular TV shows back in the 80s, sorry, some of you younger guys, but maybe you've seen it, I don't know. Uh, it, It captured the collective sentiment and desire for community. The show, cheers. Some of you already saying it, I know that. All right, that's good. It was a show that revolved around a bar, but that was merely the context for the show. It was a show about connecting others, uh, with sharing your stories and letting others speak into your story. It was a show about sharing in the victories and in the tragedies of life. 
Cheers is a seemingly mythical place that our hearts long for, as evidenced by the lyrics of the theme song. Sorry if I get it stuck in your head. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everyone knows your name. Yeah, there we go. I'm a little pitchy, but that's kind of where it is. The TV show Cheers ended in 1993, but our shared longing for community still lingers on, right? Today in our fast-paced society, we still seek connection in community, but instead of face-to-face community, we've gone after the online community. We all know how well that's gone. People hide behind their computers or their, uh, their mobile devices, never really allowing people to know the real you, the you with all your shortcomings, your, your checkered past, perhaps your checkered present. As we will see, there is something about the human creature that simultaneously longs for community and yet runs from it. We want to belong to others in community, and we find relationships to be difficult. We do not do community well, but thankfully, God has given us hope. God has done something for us in Christ. What we must see this morning is that God has saved us for community. Therefore, we must commit to him and his community. We're going to look at that in three areas this morning. First, we're going to see that we're made for community. Then we will look at the challenge of community and then the re-gift of community. First, we are made for community. The big idea here in this point is this. Our creator is a community and we are created in his image to live in community. In other words, community is how God lives and we have been made to live like God in community. We know that God is a community of perfect love and joy and freedom and power and contentment. Why? Because God is a trinity. One God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now this teaching is a, isn't one that people readily accept. Why is that? Because people have a hard time wrapping their heads around the truth that there is one God and he is three persons. And because of this, people reject the trinity. But John Wesley once made this statement. Listen, he said, bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, and then I will show you a man that can comprehend the triune God. Our job as creatures made by God isn't to try to fully wrap our heads around God. It's not our place, and we do not have the ability to do so. But that being said, the Bible does give us insights into the Trinity. All throughout the Bible, we read that God is one, that there is but one God. But then we're also presented with countless evidence that this one God uh, is presented as, as three different persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When Jesus commands his disciples to go and to baptize, did he say go and baptize in the name of God? No, he said, go and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, that would have been a blasphemous statement if it were not true. We see the Trinity in our text. You see in verses 4 through 6, they're backwards, though. It's first the Spirit, then the Lord, Jesus, and then our, our Father. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that it belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Do you see the Trinity there? One Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, one Lord, Jesus Christ his Son, and one Father of all. What we need to see, though, is that the Trinity, God, lives in community. Imagine the relationship that must be in heaven throughout all eternity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Perfect love, perfect peace, perfect delight, perfect power, perfect joyfulness. No envy or jealousy or rivalry, no separating, no hiding, no prejudice, no self-interest. Talk about a community that flourishes in perfection. It's no wonder that the psalmist says, at your right hand are pleasures evermore. It is this triune, happy, powerful God of community that created mankind for community. We see it in the very beginning of the Bible. In the chapter 1 of Genesis, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. First, did you notice that the God had said, Let us make man in our image. And did you notice something interesting? When it said, And when it said, in the image of God, he created him. Then we go on and we read, male and female, he created them. See, understand this. One person living by himself or herself is not enough to image God. God made two, male and female, to image him. Why? Because God is a community in relationship. God is a unity of diversity. So too, then, there must be more than one human to reflect God's image. Adam and Eve are a unity of diversity. The two became one flesh. What does this tell us? It tells us that community is good. It's what we were made for, to live with and near other people, to enjoy each other's company, to share life together with joy. How does that challenge you this morning? Do you see how this truth corrects any false belief about community? Like, I don't need to be in community. I can go through life on my own. Yes, you can. People often do go through life on their own. But that is not how God has designed us. And guess what? You will miss out on the many blessings of being in community. But it's also true. You will avoid some of the pitfalls of community. Which leads us to our next point, the challenge of community. The big idea here is really simple. Community is hard. We've all been hurt by others in community, haven't we? Sometimes it's a friend betraying our confidence. Other times it's a spouse who breaks that sacred vow till death do us part. Or it's that friend we try so hard to make happy. And they're all, they just always seem to be ticked off nonetheless. And so you reach that point where you just avoid him or her. Community is hard. And not just because others have hurt us, but if we're also honest, we hurt others too. We judge them before we have all the facts. We choose who we spend time with based upon our needs, not upon their needs. We forgive if there's something in it for us, but holding a grudge feels so much better. 
and we can harbor bitterness so easily. Community is challenging. It's hard, tiring at times, and so often it doesn't seem worth it. That's why typically, the older you get, the fewer close friends you have. As I was talking with one of my daughters the other day as we were just driving around in the old truck, um, we talked about, about how when you're in preschool, everybody's your friend, right? You know, except for that mean girl and the bully, right? And then by third grade, you have a nice size, but it's a smaller group that you play with at recess. By the time you graduate high school, your close friends are down to maybe four or five. And it gets worse as we get older. A study in the UK found that recently that, uh, that as men age, the number of people with whom they would discuss a serious topic decreases. Only 7% of those under 24 said they had no friends. But one in five men over 55 had no one with whom they could confide in. Now, important question. If God has made us for community, then why is it that the longer we live, the less, not the more, relationships we have? Now, there's some well-known factors for that. Increased busyness in society, marital status, the presence of children in the home. But it's more than just these external factors. There's something about our nature that impedes community. See, mankind no longer lives in the Garden of Eden. We've lost our relationship with God, and we are losing in our relationships with others. Sin separates us from the communion in the community of the Trinity, and sin separates us from unhindered community with our fellow man. In our passage, Paul is writing to a church community in Ephesus, and he's urging them to be unified. See, he knows it's hard. This side of heaven, it requires what Paul speaks of in verses 2 and 3. Humility, gentleness, love, coupled with an eagerness for unity. Paul is getting to the heart of the problem. We are a people who by nature are not humble and gentle and loving. We are not eager for unity. We might like to think we are, but we're not. Jesus shows us in all of his teachings that the heart of the human problem is what? The problem of the human heart. We are by nature people who care more for ourselves than others. It's our needs, not others, that rise to the top of our list. By nature, we resist change, we impose our desires, we lack patience for others, we're slow to forgive, quick to divide. We call other people's character into question simply based upon their view of politics or because of the clothes they wear or because of the color of their skin. We lump people into categories of us versus them. Instead of being quick to forgive, we are quicker to hold a grudge. For all these reasons and more, maybe you could name some, Community that flourishes as God intends is difficult to form and it's hard to hold together. Even churches struggle. Some churches will split when the leadership prayerfully decides to to shut down or close down a ministry that's been going on for years but maybe doesn't meet the vision of the church anymore or uh, lacks participation. And some people's feelings get hurt. But instead of finding a way to make peace, members can begin to divide. Churches even can split over the 
color of the carpet. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, someone da- donated us carpet. We got to pick the color out. And, uh, but I'm pleased to say, Grace Presbyterian Church, we've not split over the color of the carpet. At least not yet. Is anybody angry? Raise your hand. I'm just kidding. I'm thankful that we have so much unity here at Grace Church. But let us not be fooled unless we as a church actively strive for unity. Division is creeping at our doors. Community is hard. We're closed off to the needs of others. And others are closed off to our needs. We get our feelings hurt and we don't want to forgive. And we hurt other people's feelings and they don't want to forgive us. We grow tired of others' flaws and others grow tired of our flaws. So that's the challenge of community. On the one hand, we are made for it. But then on the other hand, we fight against it. Lastly, let's look at the re-gifting of community. Christ has re-gifted us community. Now, typically, especially this time of year, re-gifting is a, is a uh, practice that is frowned upon. You know, Aunt Margaret keeps sending you every year the same old fruitcake gift, and, and you this year re-gift it uh, to the hostess of that Christmas party you feel obligated to attend. Now, in our case, the re-gifting of community is a good thing. God originally made mankind to flourish and prosper in community, but man turned from God and from each other. But Christ has come so that the gift of community may be re-gifted to us. In verse 7, Paul speaks of a grace gift given to us in Christ. Look at it. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, at first glance, you may be tempted to think that Paul is speaking here of of the gift of salvation, that is that Christ has given us the gift of new life in him and we are now restored into relationship with God and and that is true. But he had already covered that in chapter one. Paul had already covered that God had saved us in Christ from our sin. He's already spoken of that gift. This is a different gift in verse seven. Paul's not pointing to Christ's one-time gift of salvation for his people. He's talking about an ongoing gift that God gives his people. This passage repeatedly talks about, a, about the body of Christ, Christ's body. In verse 15, we read that Christ is the head of the body. And the body has another name. Paul calls it the church. Not in this part of Ephesians, but in the very beginning of Ephesians, in uh, chapter 1, Paul, in speaking of the risen Christ, wrote, and he, that's Jesus, Uh, excuse me, God the Father, put all things under his feet, that's Jesus, and gave him as head over all things the church, which is his body. The body of Christ is the church, and the church is the body of Christ. And so what Paul wants his readers to understand in this passage is that Jesus continues to give ongoing gifts to his body, to the church. In verse 1 through 6 that we see that he has gifted us the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the Holy Spirit of God, the, the third person of the Trinity dwelling in him or her. The purpose of the Holy Spirit in you and in us? Unity. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit. You know what? It's by the Holy Spirit that you and I have any hope of dwelling together in unity, in joy, together. The Spirit of God teaches us and corrects us and leads us 
in ways that honors Christ's body. You know, I believe the Spirit of God is active and alive here at Grace Church. We are growing together in love for God and in love for each other. We're living more and more as a community in humility and gentleness and patience. We're learning to, to bear with one another with great love and tenderness. And we're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I see that in our body here. But maybe long for more. More of Christ in us. More of us being united as his body. More eager to live the rest of the days of our lives seeking this unity for which we've been saved. But this re-gift of community is more than just Christ giving us his Holy Spirit. The grace given us in verse 7, these additional gifts to the church, we, we see in verse 8 through 10, it talks of Christ having ascended victorious after rising from the grave and how Christ is now above all and rules over all, including his body, and how Christ is the head, how he gives gifts to his body. And then Paul speaks in verse 11 of a gift. He says, and he gave. What is it that we read there that Christ has given his body? It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And I don't have time this morning to go through what all those roles mean then and today. But let us focus on the thrust of Paul's reasoning. Paul is saying that Christ has given to his bride, given to his body, uh, given to the church leaders to care for it. And why is it that Christ has graciously given leaders within the body? What is his purpose in giving leaders to the church? Look at verse 12. To equip the saints for what? For the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Understand this. The role of leaders in the church isn't to do the work of the ministry. The leader's role is what? to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. You know, when I came to understand this years ago, it totally changed the way in which I viewed being a pastor. My calling as a pastor isn't to be the hired hand who does the work of the ministry. My calling is to equip you for the work of the ministry. If I'm tired at the end of the day from doing all the work of the ministry, something's wrong. But if I'm tired at the end of the day from equipping you to do ministry, something's right. Stories are told of a church member who gets angry at his pastor because he didn't personally visit him in the hospital himself. Oh, other members of the body came and comforted him and prayed for him. But in his mind, the pastor wasn't doing his job. No, most chances the pastor was doing his job. Members of the body came and cared for this person and his needs. The pastor's calling, uh, the, the leaders within the church, other staff members, our calling is um, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That way what? The body is built up. In fact, show me a church where the pastor or the paid staff are doing all the work of the ministry, and I will show you a church whose body looks malnourished and underdeveloped. In high school, I had a friend who got into bodybuilding. Problem was, he only focused on his upper body, his arms and his chest, while neglecting strengthening his legs. And when you saw him in shorts, well, it looked a little bit odd. 
So to the church where the body of Christ is not being built up, each and every one of us here, if you belong to Christ, if you don't belong to Christ, then this is not a command upon you or a calling upon you. You need Christ, and then he'll welcome you into his community. But each one of us has a role to play. In a sense, you are an arm or a leg or a foot or a hand. And leaders in the church have a calling not to do the work of an arm and a leg for you, but to build you up as an arm or a leg in the body. And what is the goal of this for Christ? It's a mature body. That's what he speaks of in verse 13. We are to mature into adulthood. And what does that adulthood look like? It looks like the fullness of Christ. Look at that in verse 13. That's quite a place we're supposed to be going. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Truth be told, the body of Christ will never reach this state. Until when? When Christ returns and the new age is ushered in. Only then will we be stripped of all that hinders us from being the people that God has called us to be. But that does not mean fullness isn't to remain our highest goal. Grace Presbyterian Church may never fully become a body of Christ that is fully mature, but that does not mean we do not have full maturity as our goal. We all know this, but in the National Football League, a place kicker will not make every field goal. The best kicker in the history of the NFL is Dan Bailey, who plays for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, all right. His career average, 89.899% as of this morning. And yet... Think this through. No place kicker ever walks onto the playing field on game day with less than perfection on his mind. The commitment before each game played is to kick perfectly. So too for the church. We know we will never reach full maturity, but we must strive for it every day. Lastly, let's look at the fuel for building up the body of Christ. You know, bodybuilders, I've never, you know, I've never been accused of being one, but um, why are you laughing at that? Bodybuilders drink all kinds of special concoctions, do they not, uh, to build their bodies. It used to be raw eggs, but now we've got muscle milk and like Gatorade and all these protein drinks. and They are the fuel for building up a human body. But the body of Christ has a similar fuel that enables the re-gifted community to powerfully live out this call to a maturity of body. What is it? What is the fuel? It's the cross of Christ. When the cross of Christ is present to fuel a community, that community truly experiences this re-gift of community from Christ. Now, where do we see the cross of Christ? I think we see it in verse 15. Right there, it says, speaking the truth in love. My friends, you and I cannot speak the truth in love without the cross. The cross allows you and me to be honest with each other in a loving way. See, our natural human tendency is to downplay our own sin and blame shift. But the cross allows you to own your failures, to, uh, to address your shortcomings, and to appreciate your brothers and sisters who love you enough to point out your failings. 
See, the cross allows us to say, I am far more sinful than I dared to think, and yet far more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than I ever dared to dream. The cross allows you and me to own up to our brokenness and to seek growth and peace. It also allows us, gives us new ways to confront the shortcomings of others. Because we have been forgiven much by the cross, we too are able to forgive much by this same cross. The cross changes how we see others in the body of Christ. Too many churches have members who distance themselves from others. Why? Because of how they've been hurt in the past. But the mature Christian behaves differently. When hurt by others, he is quick to be reminded of the grace that he receives daily. And so he's not quick to condemn, but to forgive, to bless. The cross is the key to a thriving community. We don't just need the cross for our salvation on that day in which you are saved. We need it daily so that we can live together as God has called us to live together. That we may walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, just as our Savior has done for us. So my friends, as we come to the Lord's table in a moment, let us be reminded that we've been saved for community. We belong to Christ's body and we belong to each other. May we be committed not just to walking before God, but walking with each other. As we take time to meditate before we come to this table, let's be reminded of the, of the cross and what, it, what God has done for you in Christ and forgiveness. And may we look upon our brothers and sisters with that same mercy and compassion. Christ has filled his body with the spirit of God. He's given the body all that we need to be built up. He's given us the cross so we can speak to each other in truth and with love so that the body can be built up so that we as a church will mature more and more into the fullness of Christ. Grace Church, may we be eager to live together as the redeemed body of Christ. We've been saved for community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that all that we need we have in Christ. So tempted we're, look, we're so tempted to look for community uh, outside of the body of Christ and the work that you're doing in our midst. Uh, even when it hurts inside the body, we are thankful that um, you, Jesus, give us comfort. Uh, we pray that you would make us a church that is more alive in your grace, that we would see our role, each of us here, as important, that we may be built up and mature, that we may bless each other in community, that we may reflect here on earth more and more of the great community that takes place for all eternity in heaven, we pray. Amen.